Hey, hey, ho, ha. What is that? What's what? What are you playing? Just something I wrote. You wrote a song? Well, let's hear it. Nah, it's not that good. Come on, I want to hear it, Kurt Cobain. Okay, but I'm not much of a singer. It's all right. Jim Morrison. Come on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Bob Dylan. Dang, blue. Paul Kelly. John Camelier. Elton John. And it seems to me you lived your life like a candle in the wind. Some of the greatest creative minds in the world of rock. Collectively and individually, what can we learn from not just their work, but how they work? This week on the Mojo Radio Show, we're going to find out. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for hitting the download button. Thank you for your company. Thanks for having faith in a couple of young blokes, and I do say young blokes in the studio. If you don't know what we're about, join the club. Uh, If you don't know what we're about, we just find people that we think have got their mojo working Mm. in and out of work. Robbo and I talk to them and we look to extract tips, tools, opinions, stuff that you can do just to make yourself better, just to mm. just to get stuff really happening in your world. And sitting here in the studio with me is Robbo. Uh, how's it going, mate? It's going pretty good, mate. And you? Yep, going well. You've been I out on the road. Been... On the road, Jack. I, I even had two T-shirts made. <laughs> in the spirit of the in spirit of the new segment we're going to do this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. GB on tour the Gippsland Small Business Festival. Mm-hmm. I toured down through Gippsland. I did six speaking gigs, six keynotes in three days: breakfast, oh, lunches, and dinners. I've and got the uh, line: GB does GP. Oh, oh and you know that? what? I finished. I finished at Phillip Island. Oh, nice. How are the penguins? Oh, uh, mate, great. <laughs> and a, a big shout-out to the uh, the folks at the Cape Kitchen. Mm. He looked after me. It was a really nice lunch and finally mm. a fantastic coffee down there. But i got to say, I, Jesus. I'd ridden through Gippsland before, mm. like down through Bansdale and stuff on the Tour de Cure, but mm. I really hadn't spent as much time in the communities, gotten around. And because you're speaking and doing keynotes and stuff, you talk to people prior to and after the sessions. It it was great. I mean, as a, as a tourist destination for people to go down, Gippsland has beautiful countryside. The drive mm. from Warrigal down to Leangatha mm. was spectacular. Absolutely yep. beautiful. So, yep. um, and Phillip Island's lovely. So, um, shout out to everybody that I met and saw down there. Uh, thanks for having me. For our so, international yeah, mate, was, guests, uh, we're talking about southeastern Australia, down the bottom southeastern side. Mm, down the so coastline, right down, down past Taralgon, Bansdale, mm. Sale, Warrigal, Morwell. Yeah. Uh, Google Phillip it, guys. Island. Beautiful part the, of the world. Yeah, it was good. So I mm. uh, did the tour, a lot of talking. My voice is a bit uh, a bit on the shabby side, but right. we'll, we'll, we'll make do. You'll make do, How as we do every week. Mate, good. Yep, yeah, been busy as well. She's always chugging along. There's always something to do in this studio. So, yeah, nice. Mm. Working on... Um, very, very good. Working on our new segment. We're going to spring this week. Let's, um, let's launch it now, shall we? Oh, ooh, before we do, a little bit mm. of... A little quick bit of a teaser, as we say in the business... Dead mm-hmm. Daisies. Yeah. Let's go get lost. Our way. 
get ready to have a chat to him. No. Yes. Are you serious? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, locked in. Locked in. So uh, a couple of weeks' time. You are kidding. Now, Mm. anybody who's listening, we have become Dead Daisies fans. We Mm -hmm. love that this this track, actually, Mexico, just... Mate, I played it in the car every day in Gippsland. Just got my mojo working. This is your eye of the tiger track, isn't it? Oh, it's the go-to track to get you pumped before you walk on stage. But um, yeah. just so folks know, the band is made up with guys who used to play in uh, legendary bands mm. like uh, White Snake, Motley Crue, Guns, Guns and, and Roses. Roses. Yep. Our our own Australian John Stevens did a yep. session with them. It's just. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mate, so we're going to be talking to them. We're going to be talking to them while they're out here on their tour with Kiss. When are we doing it? Uh, a couple of weeks. Just uh, end of September, beginning of October. Around there somewhere. You mean the beginning of... Rocktober. We should bring back Rocktober. We could do that. So, folks, Robbo and I, back in the day, uh, used to work at one of the biggest and most successful radio networks in Australia. And mm. during that time, we're going back a ways now, aren't we, buddy? Yes, um, it's not so successful anymore. <laughs> Every year we used to do Rocktober and mm. it was just a, a, a month of high production, lots of live gigs, great artists, great interviews. It was mm-hmm. pretty full on and pretty on, pretty rock and roll. But um, mm-hmm. let's bring it to the Mojo Radio Show. Let's cool. do it. Let's, let's rock right. Rocktober. Okay, well, let's, let's start Rocktober mm. with the interview with the Dead Daisies. Okay, oh, let's do that. Rock on. Rock on. Rock and on. in the meantime... We've got a new segment as well. Let me let me play Let's this go. and see if it rocks your socks. God of Rock, thank you for this chance to kick ass. We are your humble servants. Please give us the power to blow people's minds with our high-voltage rock. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Now let's get out there and melt some faces! The Mojo Radio Shows. Lessons in Rock. Welcome to Lessons of Rock. So Lessons of Rock and uh, let's start the Lessons of Rock. Now what this segment's going to be about is in our time in the music industry, working in radio and, and being able to promote and work with different artists of different sorts, uh, Rob and I have taken learnings from bands, songwriters, artists, producers, managers, and we've called this segment the Lessons of Rock. So mm. it's about looking at people that we know, heard or work with who said something profound or did something profound that we can take a lesson from to put into our work lives or our personal lives to make us better and get our mojo working. Would that be a fair...? That would be absolutely accurate, I think. Not even a fair measure. So um, what do you got, mate? Let's kick, kick us off. I've got one uh, to kick us off. My favourite first lady of rock, um, God rest her soul, Chrissy Amphlett. Have a listen to this, um, talking about her early influences. We're talking great voices of all time. Aretha Franklin. When I was about 12, I used to stand in front of the mirror and I'd put this song on and I'd have a big feather boa and I used to... You twirl too. The, twirl you too. The, twirl the, did you do that yeah, too? Yeah, well... Twirl the feather and I used to do the thing with the feather and and be this black woman and pretend I was a black woman with a big feather boa hmm. and um, um, to this song. Yeah. I love this record. Uh, now, my lesson from that is... There's a couple of things I would say, Robbo. The first thing is that quite often I met a I met a guy in Morwell the other day, lovely, lovely young guy, and he talked about not knowing what his passion was. Mm. And he didn't know what was going to come next. He didn't know what his thing was, but he knew there was something there. But didn't. I said, mate, just chill, just relax, it'll come. Mm. But one thing you can think about is go back to when you were a kid, standing in front of the mirror with the hair brush in your hand. Yep. 
where you had a guitar in your hand or you played with model aeroplanes or you would play with pets or you couldn't stop playing tennis or think about the things where you lost track of time, money wasn't important, food wasn't important, sleep wasn't important. Yeah. You were so immersed in it and then think about those things because quite often that was the thing that intrinsically is a passion of yours, you've just put it to bed. Mm. Mm, you've forgotten about it. Mm. It's a shame. And there's a it? learning out of that I love with hearing Chrissy talk about it. And she was just a brilliant artist. Mm. But the other thing is, there's an old saying that you act the way you want to become right. until you become the way you act. Yeah. And there is something nice about being in the mirror and rehearsing. It's a, po- it's a pity more CEOs don't rehearse. It's a pity more leaders don't rehearse. It's a pity much we don't rehearse our customer service to think about what's it going to look like, what's it going to feel like, what am I going to say and do to when I turn up in that moment, my moment, you bring 100%, you bring yourself. So mm, um, mm. It's like, that's... Uh, well, interestingly, talking about becoming the way you act, this is a bit more from the same interview. Um, mm. Chrissy talking about meeting up uh, with a, a fan of hers in the streets of Melbourne. Just have a quick listen to this. There's one story where this fan comes along and, I mean, this is pretty hard, and he's eating an ice cream and I um, and he comes up and he says, oh, Chrissy, I love you. And I get the ice cream and I just shove it in his face and he's just standing there dripping an ice cream and he goes, I still love you. <laughs> that was up the I cr- feel terrible. Was up the but cross, I had to put it, it in, yeah, and I was walking along with Libby Blaine. I had to put it in, though. But I mean, s- what a, you know, monster. So what she's basically saying is that because her on-night stage persona was this in-your-face rock chick... <laughs> That she and I always get a mental image of this guy wearing an ice cream in his face. <laughs> she could get away with it, you know. It wasn't wasn't a piss off bitch or you know whatever it was. You know, I still love you. But you know, the learning out of it, Robbo, is mm. that Chrissy and the Divinals had an absolute persona, right? Mm. We all we can visualise any photo of Chrissy. I mean, it's even on your in our very first first or second show, you had the T-shirt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, these, well, actually, it was more like a boob tube. But <laughs> the, um, <laughs> a gut bra. <laughs> <laughs> so you had that and it had Chrissy in that pose, you know, yeah. in, the, in the school uniform and stuff. They had a persona. They had a vibe. And that's what I was talking to the guys, the Small Business Festival in Gippsland about is creating a vibe. And part mm. of the vibe is what's the personality for your company? Yeah. If you are a sole trader, what's your personality? Mm. that people will intrinsically get to know that it becomes your thing, right? Yeah. And when you step outside that, if you have got a strong enough persona, people will forgive you and go, ah, it's an anomaly. Yeah. But when you stand, if you don't stand for anything, you stand for nothing. Mm. And Mm. even, you know, on the tour I mentioned Apple a couple of times or people in the audience mentioned Apples and there were people in the audience that may have had a a bad experience at time, but they were absolutely anomaly in the room. The majority of people went, well, you know, stuff happens. Only because they built such a great persona consistently. So we can take a lesson from that for the same thing as your studio. If you've got a reputation and a persona and a personality, a vibe for the studio, Mm. if something happens, people go, well, it's just an anomaly. Stuff happens. Yep. Yep. But when you have none... The expectation be, well, I may not use that guy again. You so, know what uh, yeah, you good, might get. two good pieces, mate. Good. Worked hard for the beginning one. What about you? You got one up your sleeve? Mate, um, shove this in. Cassette? <laughs> <laughs> now you're really showing your age. All right, hang on, hang on. The cassette deck's right at the back of the studio here. Hang on.
right, you happy now? I love that track. That's Kings of Leon, mm-hmm. Sex on Fire. Absolutely. I just think that song gets your mojo working from the bedroom to the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw a great interview um, about Caleb, who's the lead singer of Kings of Leon. Yep. And he was talking about the songwriting process mm. and he said quite often he would wake up in the morning really hungover mm. and he'd look across and his journal was open and there'd be a song in it. And he would have written the song that night after quite a few beers. And he said the advantage of doing that was that it helped him to suspend judgment. And one of the things that really stops us from being outstanding as a writer, as a communicator, uh, as a parent, as a leader, Mm. as an entrepreneur, as a social profit leader, whatever it may be, is the judgment, that voice in the back of your mind uh, yep. which I wrote about in my book called Who Stole My Mojo, and I called The Fat Bastard because Fat Bastard stole Austin Powers' mojo. Mm. And by drinking, when he was in the songwriting process, he was able to suspend that voice and just write whatever because he didn't care. Mm. Mm. And I don't for one minute say that people should go and you know get on the red to, to write, <laughs> but it is, it is just an interesting thing that sometimes that voice is so loud. Yeah. You have to quieten that voice to be able to do your best work. And whether it be through meditation, being present at the moment, having a glass of wine to loosen up, doing with somebody else who will hold you accountable and keep you on track. But I just, uh, I've always remembered that. And I thought, you know, that's one of our biggest challenges is getting out Mm. of our own way. So um, the downside with the whole red wine story is that when you drink too much, it's on a road to nowhere. So, yeah. you know, we've got to be careful with uh, everything in moderation. Um, let's not Indeed. do a Hunter S. Thompson on this one. No. So, um... <laughs> well, there's a couple of good lessons. A <laughs> couple of good lessons. We've been becoming like a start? real radio show now. We've got intros, we've got closers, we've, we've even got segments now. All right, let's get into this. Indeed. Help us get the Mojo Radio Show on the iTunes What's Hot list. Hit up the Mojo Radio Show and leave a comment now. Oh, and please... You are such a disappointing pair. Be gentle with us. Robbo, a few weeks ago when I was on the Tour de Cure, Mm. we rode our bikes from Adelaide to Melbourne. You may remember, it may have been night four, we were... We'd had just had dinner at yeah. a, a local RSL club and I caught up with a lady called Shelley Whitehurst who yeah. was going through her own battle with cancer. Mm, how could um, I forget? She had only had, yeah, she'd only had chemotherapy a day or two yeah. prior to coming on tour. She was working on our support crew. And the reason I got Shelley on the show, and I did it as, as on a remote, you know, in the, in the RSL, so it was a little mm. noisy. But the reason I got her in there was because she spoke, to us at dinner on the road. And what she said was quite profound. And I thought that it's it's just interesting hearing different people's psychological and biological approach to cancer, something that we are all facing in one way or another. And mm. um, do you remember the Shelley interview? I do indeed. How could I forget? She was so inspirational. Yeah, yeah and we got some really good, um, you know, busy is boring. It's just some great takeouts that came out of it. Anyway, I was at a ball a couple of weeks ago, mm. and Shelley was the guest speaker. It was a Tour de Cure event. Shelley was the guest speaker, and mm. she dropped the bombshell that the cancer had returned. Oh, uh, what she had to say was very, very profound, and it found me reaching for my journal in the back of my uh, penguin suit to <laughs> write down some really profound takeouts, which has really changed my view of people who are 
going through hardships, not even just cancer, but any hardships, mm. and knowing what to do when most of us who want to help somebody but don't know what to do, what do you do? Yeah. So it's with great delight we get Shelley back on the line again. Shelley is being called the new voice of cancer. Shelley Whitehurst, welcome back to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's very exciting to be back and not freezing. Well, <laughs> well it's nice for me to meet you, Shelley, because last time all I got was the, uh, the pre-recorded piece that came from the Tour de Cure and um, you sound like such a vibey person I've been looking forward to today for a while. I don't know how vibey I was after an amazing eight days, I think it was at that point. Yeah. Well, it was a great interview. Yeah, you sounded like you were pumped. We had the best so time ever. So we'll bring everybody up to speed. We spoke to Shelley Whitehurst uh, live from dinner on the Tour de Cure. It was about night four. Hang on. Th- and, let me clarify, uh, Gary. We, you said it was dinner. I say the pub. It was the pub. Well, it was pub at <laughs> Yeah, dinner. it was the pub. See, thank it you. It was the pub. Was, I rest my case, Your Honour. <laughs> and I spoke to Shelley and we got an update on Shelley's story. But I thought what we might do is just, Shelley, get you to tell us about the journey you've had with facing cancer, just to bring anybody who didn't hear that interview up to speed with where we are now. Yes, so in May 2014, I came back from an overseas trip and I couldn't see out of one eye. And um, I went to an ophthalmologist to get it checked out and pretty much found out that I had cancer in a matter of minutes. So my world was you know, completely turned around in 24 hours. By 10.30 the following day, I, you know, found out that I had bilateral breast cancer um, that had been misdiagnosed quite a few times for my age. I was 39 at the time. And my life in one minute just totally shifted. And my cancer is not not that there's any good cancer, but I've got the kind of crappy cancer. Um, it's very rare. It's very aggressive. Um, there's no cure. Uh, I have cancer in um, my breasts, my eyes, which are now fixed, and in my bones. When they diagnosed me, they also found a lot of cancer in my shoulder and ribs so they actually had fractures in them as well it has been a journey emotionally physically but also quite a gift because my life has changed a lot and without that change I wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing today I wouldn't have gone on tour de cure see when we spoke on the tour de cure you were actually going pretty good and you treatment was working and you were sort of seemingly on top of things. And then at the snowball, you announced to the audience that you'd had news um, that the cancer was back. And when you had that diagnosed, it made you realise one thing. What, what was that? About six weeks ago, things started to, to go a bit pear-shaped and I could feel it in my body. It's interesting how you know your body better than anyone else. And then I had... And I got pneumonia and I had a massive increase of um, fluid on my lung and I had to have what they call a lung tap where they drain it. I had my radiologist, oncologist come in and as soon as he comes in, you kind of go, there's something wrong because <laughs> you only see him very rarely. And they said the cancer was back. And before that, I had treated my cancer like 
It was just an everyday thing. And you have to sometimes do that. But I probably didn't allow people and myself to really understand what it was and what having stage four cancer meant. So I wrote this speech for the ball previously to that Monday that was this perfect speech and that was all about, you know, inspiration and cancer and, and, and you know, to share that message. And on the Monday I cried and cried and then on the Tuesday I cried and cried and then I had to figure out what I was going to say at this at the ball and I threw it all away and decided that that would be my cancer coming out and to say to everyone in the room, I'm not fine because I say I'm fine 20 times a day and I am so far from not fine and it's a lie. And one of the things that I noticed while I was in hospital with my um, lung operation, which Everyone said, oh, it's really simple. And then afterwards I go, no, it's actually really complex. We just didn't want to freak you out. <laughs> and um, was that a lot of people just kind of went, oh, Shelly's just going into hospital again. She's fine. But I really wasn't. I went through the ringer. And the problem was it's not their fault. And as I spoke about it too, it's not a, a shaming or a naming thing. It's the fact that I hadn't been honest to people and I hadn't actually said, I need you to come and see me. I need you to come and give me a hug and I need you to come and hold my hand and I need you to, I need, I need people. And I think it's something that we do every day with a lot of things, not just cancer, with any kind of trauma, illness, major thing that happens. We feel like we need to put this wall up and not tell the truth. So it sounds like there's two parts of this, Shelley. It sounds like there's the part where the person who is struggling, and not just with cancer, but with any grief, diagnosis, any issue, because as Robbo said before, that we hear it a lot, people go, I'm fine, I'm okay. So there's almost a piece, are you saying that we need to be honest with ourselves and be upfront and say, you know what, I'm not. This is what I need and having the guts to say that. And then the other part is that if the other person is hearing somebody say, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm all good, for them to know in the back of their mind, it's probably not. So I'm interested in your perspective because I think this is such a profound piece. Is it a matter of you're saying people should be honest with themselves and speak up? The other part is if they're not honest and they say I'm okay, what should the other person do? Okay, so to answer the first one, it took me 12 months plus to be honest with myself. I went on tour, I was really good, but I probably needed to be a little bit more vocal about things that I probably needed. But because I didn't want to be different to the other 179 people, you just chuck on through. And it's like what I really should have said is sometimes, hey, guys, I'm probably not feeling very like 100% today, so I might just miss breakfast and get a bit more of a sleep. And no one would have cared. But the thing was, is that I, you know, you feel like you need to be, you can't do that because you need to be part of the group and you, and you need to give what you promised you would give. And also like in the everyday world, people come at you all the time with, how are you? How are you? And sometimes you feel like what you're going through is kind of annoying or boring or, um, 
upsetting to other people. So you put up this barrier and this wall that you go, oh, it's easy to say I'm fine because then it's a natural thing to do. But really you're not honest and what that leads to is you can manifest these expectations inside you of people not caring or people not wanting to be a part of your journey, but you've actually trained everyone to not engage with you because they think you're fine. And when you say you're fine, everyone toddles on with their life normally and you're sitting at home being upset or like, why hasn't anyone come to over to visit me and make me a cup of tea or why haven't they rung or why haven't they texted me or, you know, because you've actually taken yourself out of the picture because you've said you're fine. If somebody's engaging with you and you're saying, no, no, I'm fine, I'm okay, how's things, I'm okay, and that, and you know that something has happened that they're dealing with, what would you say would be one thing that people could do when they hear that from somebody that would allow them to get through that shield? Well, I think the first, one of the first things that I've really jumped on my soapbox a little bit about lately, which is the difference between asking a question that's more procedural versus emotional. And by that, I mean, when you go to the doctor or your friends ask you, how are you, how are you going? You know, what's happening? You automatically go into, I've had I've had chemotherapy. It's this, it's that. It's all the very procedural medical side that you talk about. And we don't talk about, and Gary, you would have heard me at the snowball talk about how it feels. We never talk about how it actually feels to have cancer or HIV or a terminal illness or that. So I think it's a different way of asking the question. And it's like, we will naturally say, how are you going? And if you go, oh, I'm fine. I'll give, maybe it's a time to, yeah, I know you're probably fine with how the treatment's going and everything, but won't tell me how you're feeling. You know, how are you feeling about it all? Are you a bit dark or have you, you know, are you good or, um, you know, are you having a good week? Because I really, I would really like to know because I don't know how it feels to have cancer and I don't know how it feels to be in your shoes. So you need to, you know, can you let me in, in on that a little bit and I'd really like to listen. And that's a big thing because 90% of the time, I'm shielding everyone from what really happens to me so that I so that they don't have to deal with it. But what I've learned from a lot from the process and doing that speech, so many people really want to know how I'm truly feeling to help me and it was coming out at that ball that changed my life. Robo, is that a great saying to say to somebody, I'd really like to listen? Mm. It's a nice place to start a conversation, isn't it? I'm here to listen to you. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think that's an absolute cracker that you could hear from any business leader, from mm-hmm. any social leader, from any partner going home to, you know, their husband or wife or their children, mm. is to ask a question to say, I'd really like to listen, which puts mm. it on to them as in, I'd like you to talk. Mm. I think that's... um. And that's that's really nice. And would it be fairly true to say too, Shelley, that um, a lot of doctors could probably take that lesson as well? Well, it felt really special at um, the ball with because I mean, Gary, we had some incredible people in that room mm. from doctors and surgeons and you know the head of college of surgeons and you know all of these amazing people and leaders of business and. And it was quite overwhelming when they, because a lot they all came to speak to me afterwards, and and some of the surgeons were like, 
you are so the new voice of cancer. We mm. need you to come and talk to the doctors. We need mm. you to come and talk to the our facilitators of medicine because we don't ask that question. Yeah. You know, they ask the questions of the procedural stuff. But and I'll you know I'll share. I haven't shared really this with anyone, but my inner kind of circle. But you know, I feel like you guys are like that. Um, you know, <laughs> twelve days when I had my last treatment, it was really tough, and I went to some really dark places. Mm. And those dark places are like, how is it going to feel to die? Dark places. Am I going to get better? Yeah. Am I going to stop breathing? Is it going to hurt? You know, and it was some really special people that had been to the ball during that time that asked me those questions mm. and said, how are you feeling, not how are you, mm. that I could actually come out and talk to them and say, I think I'm a bit dark and I don't know how to pull myself out of it. You know, what's the best, is this going to be the best I'm ever going to get? Like am I going to really be this sick forever? Yeah. And they were like, look, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but let's just talk about how you're feeling with no answers. And they just listened and they let me rattle on for like, you know, 20 minutes, and it was just nice to get it off your chest. And it was weird because once I got it off my chest, the next day I still felt quite sick. But the following day after I was like, oh, hang on, I'm starting to feel better. Mm. Do you think it's true, Shelley, that um, some of this stuff we've talked about um, is also true not just for you but also for your close family and close network of support who are probably not suffering to the same level as you but still suffering through this? Um, I, I know of a family who lost their mother recently to cancer and and I, I saw the, the pain and stuff that they went through. But I, I think back now and I never really, the questions that you're saying, you know, it's, it's helpful to you to hear. I think, well, that was probably would have been helpful th- for them to hear those at the time too, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people um, and sometimes the, the close people are the ones that probably get the least amount of support. Mm. And- least amount of um, communication because you read it so much and honestly just it's just such a day-by-day battle mm. you know I, for them and helping you in the infrastructure and it's tiring and also you really want to protect them as well so you know another big, you know, another big thing is don't want cancer to be the only thing you talk about all the time yeah because it, it becomes a massive topic and and I think with that inner circle of family and very close friends, there's got to be a limit on when you talk about it and then when you just stop. Shelley, what would you say is advice to your pre-cancer self? Oh, that's such a tough one. It's a good question. Great question. Um, it's probably going to be a little bit of a, a, a longer one, but listen to your body. And this is a bit of probably a soul-searching thing and a bit of a spiritual side, I truly believe my body broke me because I didn't listen to it. And I probably needed to inject it with more sleep. And, I look, my cancer is something that was going to fire no matter what, whether it be early in my 30s or whether it be later, and all of the tests have said that. So I know that there's not much I could do to stop it. But my spiritual self says that did I get the uh, – the, the tumours that I got behind the eyes are so rare. It's so rare. Like my surgeon didn't even believe it until the scans came through. And 
I, my eyes are my greatest thing. I'm a, I design, I'm a web dev, I do like marketing, beauty, art, everything I do is my eyes. And I'm wondering spiritually if that was a sign to say, you need to stop. You're running too hard. You're not taking life in. And the only way we can stop you is to, is to take away the, one of the things that is most important to you, which is my sight. And I do think about that quite deeply and you think about it in terms of other people and other things that happen as well because it's not till something physically breaks that you can make true change. And I think I got, I was broken and from me being broken, I completely have changed and even though I'm living with a terminal illness, my life on the whole is pretty awesome like I'm much happier I'm much more relaxed I spend time things get put to the side if they're not you know urgent um being with people in being moment is is so much more important now than being busy and as I said to you Gary busy is boring yeah (laughs) I love that Busy people are boring people say to me I'm too busy I've got so much on and my work and rah 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 and all of this type of stuff I'm like well that's pretty boring just stop and sit down with the kids for 10 minutes and if they're drawing or whatever just join in because you're never going to get those moments back if if cancer existed as an entity and you could sit and have a cup of coffee with cancer and look cancer in the eye, what would you say? Truly. Keep it clean. F off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> going to send you broke. May I put some chemotherapy in your coffee? Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Would you like a splash See of chemo what it feels with like. <laughs> See what it feels like. Shelley, has, um, has fighting cancer um, changed your belief in the afterlife at all? I mean, has, you know, staring down the barrel of cancer made you think about what happens afterwards or, or not so much? Yeah, a great question. I am hmm. um, not a religious person, hmm. um, but when I am, when I was, was going through and going through the, the major Part of last year, I was like, I'll just take all the religion. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'll take all the good religion. I'll take all of it. Yeah. Like, um, I have thought about: Will there be an afterlife? Will there mm. be a heaven? I've had mm. a couple of people that have lost people that have said to me, "If heaven exists and you have to go there, mm. can you go find it for me?" Mm. Which was pretty, oh, overwhelming. Yeah. They said, I think you'd be good friends. Um, I, you know, that was, it was pretty special. Yeah. It, it was, it was weird at the start, but it was like, that's pretty special. Well, it's almost like them placing trust in you, isn't it? You know, go and look after yeah. them for me. Yeah. And just say hi. And yeah. You know, so there is a lot of that thought, but, um, I'm not really sure about what's on the other side. I, I quite like feelings of, of peace and, mm. More of like probably a Buddhist style. Um, Shelley, I'm conscious of your time, given the fact you had chemo yesterday, and I'd like to be able to leave you have a, a rest for your day. Um, before we go, could you just quickly give us an update on Kit for Cancer, this concept yeah. that you are now creating and promoting? Yeah, well, we're pretty excited. We, um, from the early diagnosis stages, um, there's a lot of things you need. 
when you have cancer and and that can be things from practical things like a, a journal, a thermometer, you, you suddenly need to um, get things like um, natural skincare and, and I have to explain this because I went to my oncologist and said, you are pumping me full of chemicals and now you tell me I need to use natural skincare? Seriously. I mean, why? This was my question. And it was the answer is so profound that I have to share it with people, which is the chemicals going into your body changes the structure of your skin and change the structure of, um, of all the different uh, molecules in your body. So if you're adding chemicals on the outside, it can cause massive reactions. So that's why they ask you to use as many natural products as possible so that um, so that the skin doesn't have any additional reaction. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Fine. Tick. Done. Because <laughs> like, I didn't think about it that way. I'm like, really? Seriously? So we've put lots of beautiful things and in like that and and basically we've done the research for the patients coming through now i spent hours and hours and hours finding products and so what we've done is i was like with one of my business partners dylan said why isn't there somewhere i can just click a button and it all arrives to me all the things that i need and we went i don't know and then we went why don't we make one and so Kit for Cancer was born. So Kit for Cancer is a curated box of luxurious and premium things that make you feel good and it's curated by patients, for patients, and it's got everything in it that you need to start that cancer journey um, to help you on a better track so that um, you've got it. And we box them up and we're selling them online at kitforcancer.com. We're pretty excited. We've sold over 200 kits so far. Like, it's very hard when some days we have 10, 10 orders come through and it's like, oh, my gosh. Would you suggest people buy the kit for someone going through it? Is that your sort of dream for this? Is that yes. When you hear of a diagnosis, we go on, go to kitforcancer.com.au. One of the other reasons we built it is, is for bigger than the – just what's in it. It's the perfect icebreaker. It's a perfect, not a hamper, it's not flowers, it's not all that stuff. It's a practical gift that you can give to someone you love that ice breaks the moment of what do you say, what do you, what do, you do next? We actually built it for the family and friends side of things, not for the, not for the actual patient because yeah. people, as, as we've discussed, want to do something and Flowers and hampers just aren't sometimes enough. You know, they don't feel like, you know, that it's kind of feels a little bit token or can feel not quite right to some people. And it's not that the thought doesn't count. It's just it's it's a weird emotion to go to. And so the kit situation is very powerful because it allows that conversation to open up. Yeah. This has been um this has been terrific, Shelley. Thank you so much. Given the fact that you went through chemotherapy yesterday, you've still taken time to chat to us today and share, I, I think, some really profound stuff. I mean, Rob and I have talked about this before. We all know somebody who is facing it or is about to face it and to be armed with some knowledge, what to say, how to do it, a kit that we can go to, I um, really hats off to you, Shelley. It's fantastic. Totally. Absolutely. Well, no, thanks. It's good. I'm just glad to be, you know, 
doing something with yeah, dealt cards and you try to make the best out of it and that's what we want to do and I just don't want anyone to ever feel like they can't talk about what they're really feeling like if they have to. Let's um let's change the subject as a final question, Robbo. Because we should we should follow the advice that Shelley has given us and talk about something that's not cancer related. Yes. What's uh Shelley, what's the song that you would like to pump at eleven to get your mojo working? You wake up in the morning, you want that go to song. What would you put on? And oh dance to dance like nobody's watching. <laughs> I love dancing. Well, they released a video of me dancing the other day. Oh my gosh, a tour de cure. That was funny. Um, music is one of the best things. I read a great article um, the other week that said the first thing you should do in the morning when you wake up is put on awesome dance music because mm-hmm. it'll just totally get you ready for the day. Um, I would take out the word dance and replace that with the word rock, but that's okay. Oh, oh, no, rock is fine. Rock is fine. Rock's country. Yeah. See, Gary would go country. There you go. Actually, you know what? I would say a little bit of Taylor Swift, shake it off. Oh, isn't that funny you should say that? Because we had a guest on earlier in the series and we asked what song and she said Taylor Swift, shake it up. And I was ice skating with my little girl last week in Bathurst because it was snowing and freezing and the song came on on the ice skating rink. And it made me think of you, Robbo. <laughs> well, oh, Do you remember I'm that? flattered. Yeah, that was Nicola Newman. Nicola Newman. Yeah. That's, it's a cracking song. Yeah, that's a great it's song. A it is a good song. My niece loves to – we do um, – dancing in the back of the car to it. We have a concert in the car. Yeah. And um, we play it when, her, you know, Matt's driving and we, full, like, we full-on do all the dance moves in the back of the car. It's quite funny. Great. So what's your niece's name? Lila. So just for Lila, Gary, we should play a little bit, shouldn't Lila. we? Absolutely. Hang on, here we go. Well, Shelley, thanks again, buddy. It's been fantastic talking to you. You, um, you're doing great things, and we'll, um, we'll see you for a cuddle soon. Yeah, stay strong, Shelley. Yeah, I've signed up for tour. Hopefully, everything will be good. So, hopefully, I'll be going on my second one. Yeah. Sweet. In the, in the words of, in the words of the immortal Hunter S. Thompson, "Don't let the bastards win." <laughs> come sliding in sideways. Yeah, come sliding in sideways. That's the one. Absolutely. Give it a nudge. Yeah. Cheers, Shelley. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye. The Mojo Radio Show. Well, for such sad news, a good story coming out of it still though, isn't it? Yeah. I, I The things I wrote down that night, and Shelley reiterated them in the interview, but mm. when people say, yeah, I'm okay, I'm fine. Mm. I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. Mm. They're not. No. And it's then taking the time to pause to think, well, what am I going to do? Mm. And people who say, I'm okay, I'm okay, mm. quite often they're not. And that mm. that's stealing people's mojo away. And the second thing that I really took away was that thought of don't forget me. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. She's a, she's a, she's a champion. She's Absolutely. a great girl. So good luck, I, I, Shelley. 
We'll put her we'll put her details into the show notes. Send her a shout out on Facebook. She would absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great chick. Mm. And she's said to be the new voice, not by me, but by many of the professors who were there have heard her speak. She's the new voice of cancer we need to listen to. So mm. it's all good. Okay. Oh, hang uh, on. Anything else? Hang on. Yeah, the Mojo phone's ringing. Hang on. Grab it. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, Mojo Radio Show. Hello, is that Robbo? It is. And, and, and Gaz, is, is Gaz there too? Yeah, Who's that? Somewhere. That sounds like Paul Christie to me. Oh, it's Paul Christie here from Mondo Rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. You guys well? Yeah, really yeah, well. Yeah, mate, really well. Um, what, uh, what gives you cause to call the Mojo Radio <laughs> Show? This is great. Well, I've called up about a program that I run in Sydney called The Weekend Warriors. Right. Which is for people that years ago may have played in a band, even recreationally, and they put their guitars and amps and basses and keyboards and trumpets and stuff away under the bed because they got married and they got jobs and they got kids. Kids have grown up. And it's it's for those people and for the people with instruments that have, that have always wanted to play in a band. They may have done it a couple of times, but it, it gives them the opportunity and the avenue to play with like-minded people. They've all got you know, dust lost their guitars, and they, I join this program and um, en masse sometimes. I've, I've had some programs where there's been eight different bands put together, and then I sort all the people out and, you know, grade their talents, and so they're all sympathetico together. And, and then I um, coach them for a month. I rehearse them every week for a month. And not so much teach them how to play the guitar, but I teach them how to play very simply within a band so that it sounds like a band. And at the end of that, at the end of the rehearsals, the week after, they all get together and do a gig. And we call it the big gig. And they invite all their family and friends. And I've had nearly 400 people at one of these gigs. Really? It's screaming when their dad comes on or their mother comes on. And, and it's really quite an, a, like an a, a explosively exciting day for those people. Like they, they're just walking around and they're, they're just like treading on air, floating on air for days afterwards. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's probably fair, Robbo, for us also to introduce how good this guy is. I mean, Paul uh, is one of the guys from Mondo Rock, which is one of the greatest, you know, rock bands Australia's ever produced and also was one of the founding guys from the Party Boys who Robbo and I are huge fans of. He's going to step on so, you again, um, folks. Go and have a listen oh, to it. Tell please, you what, if you want to get your hello. mojo going. <laughs> you know, I never thought, I never understood that song. I, I had these... Long discussions with Glenn Baker. Mate, can I can I tell you, I, I think I wore out about three cassettes with that song on it in my day yeah. in the car. I just, I could never get enough of it. I love it. Yeah. It's, a it's just, riff. there's just something about it that just makes you go, I've got to play that again. I've got to play Kill that again. Indeed. Hey, Paul, um, the Weekend Warriors thing, I'm really fascinated by this. Is that There's a number of things that I want to sort of dig into with you Um on this call because Rob and I had seen it and it's really cool for you to call in and say, G'day, so we can actually break it down a bit. But if there's somebody listening who goes, you know what, that's on my bucket list. That's that's on my list of things I've always wanted. Can anybody do it? Oh, yeah, anyone. We've had quite young people and I've had a drummer who was a jazz drummer mm. who was nearly 70 who <sighs> wanted to be a rock drummer. Mm. So... You know, over about he, he's he's done it. I think four times. Wow, maybe more. And yeah. now he he and I are very very close. 
I, I just absolutely admire this guy's tenacity. Mm-hmm. And, and he had a period where he wasn't ill, and he'd come to rehearsals, and I'd just push him and push him and push him, and he'd look at me. And just oh, about three months ago, he, he, he just got to the point where he was almost as good as any of the rock drummers I work with now in, in, in wow. his ability to actually hit them. He didn't have the great technique, but he had feel and he could keep time. And and, and I, I, I speak to him almost on a weekly basis. He rings me and we chat and he tells me what he's doing. And he'll be there on Sunday at the uh, the season we're starting in Carringbar this Sunday. He, he's, he's already signed up. He'll be doing it again. What changes have you seen in people, Paul? When you were doing this and you... Just based on that comment, what changes are you seeing in a, a, a guy who's 70 or a busy executive or a mom or a young guy who wants to come and rock out? One is it's, 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 an, it's an incredible confidence booster, especially for those people that are, mm. oh, you know, there's a lot of people in life that go, oh, I'm not good enough to do that. Mm. You know? And that comes from Britain. That sailed through the hedge in 1788, you know, with, with, with the class divide and the class structure. <laughs> so... Um, it builds confidence and it, it it unlocks a sense of joy that I think some of these people haven't experienced for a long time, either because of years and years of working the same job or, or you know, the daily humdrum of what can be the daily humdrum of life, you know, in, in the cycle. Get up, go to work, pay the bills, be under the gun, be in debt, raise children, da 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 da. I think it takes them to another universe, to another galaxy, well away from that. For a couple of hours a week each time they rehearse, and you can you can see they were walking another tired from work or something, and then all of a sudden they just light up as soon as they start plugging in and making noises, and they and they, they almost regress to being little kids. You know, I mean, look, Mondo Rock is a very serious band, and it, and it takes enormous intellectual effort uh, to to play all those songs accurately because they're not three chord rock songs, and but. I still walk off after Mono Rock Show in that same sort of almost childish, giggly state. All of us do. You know, we, we never drink when we play, but afterwards, you know, the whole lot of us all sort of go straight back to the room <laughs> and celebrate um, the success of doing it properly, you know. We've got a new segment, as we mentioned before, called The Lessons of Rock. When you think back through your CV, what personal lesson, the most profound lesson, have you taken from the music industry? When I first started, I drove my rusty HD panel van, as as, as every young boy in, in Queensland had, because we spent all the time at the Sunshine Coast. I drove it to Sydney to tee up with the chappie who's still my longest standing and best friend to this day, Eddie Robinson. He was one of the four brothers that started Jan's concert touring with his brother Eric Robinson and Paul Mulholland, David Mulholland. So my first job... My, after I, I'd, I'd done a few sort of scattered jobs, and then Eddie said, "Why don't you, you know, come over and work at Chance?" So I did. I started off in the woodwork section before I even owned a base, and then I, I moved over to being in the first ever crew. I went out on tour with Eric, Howard Page, Peter Rooney, Van Standby, me, Eddie, David Mulholland, and I did. I had done a number of international tours, and I, I saw how, how all this worked before I actually owned a base. Then I built my own base cabinets. And I started playing bass. And I met this guy that came out to the factory at Childers Street in Marysville called Tim Partridge. Tim Partridge at that, at that point had played with Ross Wilson in Mighty Kong after Daddy Cool. And he was the greatest Mosso bass player 
I went and saw him play, and I was I just almost fell backwards. He had such manic power and incredible spirit. So I, I asked, he came out to the fact and I said, Tim, I said, I want to learn to play bass. Do you reckon you can help me? And he goes, you got a bass? <laughs> Tim was so blunt. And I said, not yet. He says, right, I'll get you one. Yeah, right. So I started hanging out with Tim Partridge. And the, the first thing, when I got my bass and he set it up with these impossibly hard it was impossibly hard to play with his big, thick strings and high action. And, and he said, he said, here's, your, here's lesson number one. Are you listening to me, Paul? I go, yes, Tim, I am, I am. He says, lesson number one is you play every note like it's your last. Just imagine there's someone, there's a firing squad over there, and when you finish, they're going to they're gonna knock you off. So you play every note like it's your last. That's the number one lesson. So every note has got to mean something, and that was the most profound lesson I've and I've carried. I will carry that with me to the grave, and it's gone with me everywhere. Because in Mondo, I'm kind of like I'm like the thug. <laughs> you know, there's four there's four guys from Melbourne and me from Sydney, and and the sort of one of the integral parts of of, of that is that is that I'm fairly relentless on the bass. I'm like, I just like push it. I drive it along. And within that environment, it works. And within the party boys, it really worked, of course. And um, and that's kind of what I'm known for. I get this, this you know, this big, bad boss sound. And uh, I'm not shy. I, I don't hold back. But I can play fretless and do all this other stuff and tricky stuff uh, with Mondo. With people think it's tricky. I mean, we don't because we invented it, you know. But but that was the most profound lesson. He just told me. He says, play every note like it's your last. Now I imagine Madge McGuire would be saying that sort of thing to my beloved rabbits just about you know every training session. You know, make every tackle as though it's your last. Great lesson, but we don't live it. I think it's a crack, mate. How do we um? So two things, how do we find out about Weekend Warriors and how do we find out about the Mondos on Tour? Where, where do you want to send people to? Oh, look, the Mondos on Tour is easy. It's Saturday the 21st of August at the State Theatre with my sex. Tickets still available. And, and Saturday 22nd at the Palais Theatre in Melbourne with my sex and tickets are still available. Yeah. Weekend Warriors, the best thing to do for anyone that's interested is to ring Jonathan Wright, who owns the music store, Learn to Play Music, Beat of the Shire, at Caring Bar, and his number is 02-9524-0326. So you can obviously help Musos, mate. Do you reckon you can help a couple of stro- struggling podcast producers? <laughs> <laughs> Burned out radio guys? Burned out radio guys? <laughs> look, what about, look here's, here's lesson number one, and this is profound. Yeah. When... You're, when you begin speaking to an interviewee, mm. you always push the red button. Ah, oh, that's what it's for. Oh, that's oh. what it's for. <laughs> so I can help you guys a lot. And you know, it's funny though, Paul, because he always pushes the red M&M. That's what, that's what I'm getting wrong. It's the red uh, M&M, not, red button, not the red M&M. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, that um, mate, so good to catch up with you. That yeah. uh, I'm loving the work you're doing. I reckon that show with my sex would just be awesome. And mm. the weekend warrior thing, I just think there's um, there's so much power in that. And there's, it reminds me, Paul, of a, a lyric from a Van Zant song, and it's uh, something like, "I've got a guitar under my bed, but I've been too scared to fly." 
Um, and yeah, 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 it's yeah, all about yeah. that thing about, uh, you know, having a crack and um, I'm a big Van Zandt fan and I think the point you made before is a lot of people have got a kit under a, a sheet somewhere in the garage or a guitar they haven't seen for a while or keys or a piano they haven't played or, in fact, they haven't sung in ages. So yeah, I think there's a little it's – really, absolutely, it's good for the mojo. I think it's good for your spirit. And, um, mate, really good catching up. Beautiful. Thanks so much, mate. And good luck with the gigs and Warriors and all that stuff too, man. Thank you so much. Cheers, mate. The Mojo Radio Show. See what happens when you move in the right circles. See what people call when they call. Hey? Mate, how cool is that? Mondos, party boys, the guys yeah. he's hung out with. That is, uh, and I love the idea of that whole thing. It's wicked. Yeah, isn't it cool? Weekendwarriors.org.au yeah, yeah. is the website, people. Go and have a look. And uh, the, the nice thing about it is um, all the money goes to charity as well. So um, so that's really cool. But the health benefits, and I think we might we might travel down this uh, down this winding road, my friend. But the health benefits of what they're doing on the mental approach and people's mojo, mm. um, and going through their website, there's some really cool testimonials of the impact the Weekend Warriors program has had on people yeah. mentally and physically. Yep. Um, that's a good thing. It ties back to that science we had uh, many shows ago. We talked about they took away those 70-year-old men and took them to a monastery and locked them away for a couple of weeks and gave them magazines yep. and television shows mm-hmm. and music and all that sort of stuff from yep. their era and how mm-hmm. by every measurement of health yep. uh, it improved. increased their measurements and made them healthier thinking, yep. stretch, dexterity, you know, the whole thing. Um Mm-hmm. This is a uh, form of that. It's really. What are we? We should. Well, let's get Michael. Well, not should. We will get Michael Smith back on, who's mm. our resident doctor, expert, wellness, holistic, naturopath, something. Um, <laughs> let's get him back on to a show on aging and the whole aging process. Well, that, well uh, we've got him on the nice line. Let's find out what his title actually is, too, then, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> it's just Michael. <laughs> He's like Madonna. Yeah. And Prince. That's just right. Goes by Michael. He Smithy. just is. Smithy. He's a force of nature. <laughs> How many Smithies can there be? Everyone will know who we're talking yeah, about. Mike, Smithy. Especially Michael Mike. Smith. Mike Smith. Mm, not a very common name. Mate, um, just one thing before we go. Where's, a, where's AP? I have no idea. Off the radar. <laughs> Talk about a lesson in rock. Show up. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so uh, we've, got to, we've got to say a big thanks to, uh, to Lofty Fulton. Who uh, who's done the stuff for us this week? And um, he, you would know Lofty's voice. He was the voice on MasterChef this season and last season. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, he's also the voice of the Great Australian Spelling Bee at the moment. That's on air and doing well. So, um, amongst other things, we have known Lofty what twenty years? Triple M in Brisbane, I Mate, think. He uh, he has been one of the greats of all time. Mm. Indeed. Around this country uh, as a voice talent and uh, a great mm. talent. Thanks, Lofty. Good That's anyway. a, uh, a big show. I'm buckled. I'm done. I'm finished. <laughs> I'm spent. Chat to you next week. Out. The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see GaryBurtWhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out VoodooSound.com.au and for the right voice, RealTimeCasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.